2 Samuel chapter 16. And we read there in verse 1, And David was a little past the top of the mountain. This is the Mount of Olives. We saw in chapter 15 there, where David came to the top of the mountain. He left Jerusalem. He comes to the Mount of Olives, and he'll be heading east towards the Dead Sea into the wilderness. But he stops, and he worships the Lord. And, and I just want to stop here and just make a note, guys, that we put an emphasis upon singing. And th that's fine. But that is not worship. When you see worship in the Bible, it's typically not singing. It's sacrificing, it's prayer, it's fasting, it's seeking the Lord, it's Paul preaching until midnight and the guy falling out of the window. <laughs> it's, it's basically, the, the word in the Greek is prosukamai, which means to bow down and kiss the feet. It's a compound of two words. And, and so, you know, God has seasons for the church. And he has dynamically worked uh, in the singing aspect of worship, uh, especially in the Calvary chapels, ushering in sort of a, a modern, uh, contemporary type of worship. But just because it's modern sounding doesn't mean it's anointed of God. And, and on top of that, I, I think that we say, okay, I can click my worship button because I sing some songs, guys, that's not even 1% of it. Worship is getting up and coming to church. Worship is the gathering together of the brethren. Worship is getting out of yourself and greeting people and hugging them and, 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 and accepting them and making them feel needed. I, I can't tell you how many times I just need a true hug, <laughs> a true person genuinely sincerely loving me, or a dog, who cares, either, either one, basically the same result. Anyway, um, a lot of these guys are going, yeah, amen, brother, preach about the dog. No, I'm not going to preach about the dog. Um, but, uh, and, and, and then to ask, what's God doing in your life? How can I pray for you and lay hands on one another, anoint with oil? James, it says, if somebody's struggling, pray for them. If they're rejoicing, then rejoice with them. We, we need that fellowship and this sharing, and it takes time. It takes skill. It's not easy to meet new people. It's not easy to have a fruitful conversation. You can often see it. It's like, hey, what's God speaking to? Oh, what about those padres? And then before you know it, you've spent an hour with them, and, and nothing of any substance transpired. And so to keep on point and, and to keep the focus in the word and, 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 and just as God's filled your heart, it says as the word of God richly fills your heart, then speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Our, our Lord washes us in the water of the word. We can wash one another. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. And Jesus said, I've washed you in the word. You are clean because of the word. We can wash one another in the word. And so... 
understand that right now you are worshiping God by giving focus, by giving attention, by in your heart seeking God, crying out, going, Lord, you said draw near to you and you would draw near to me. Lord, I'm here. I want to hear what your spirit is saying to the church today. So getting up in the morning and, and saying, God, I'm giving you this day and seeking you first. There it is, the morning sacrifices, the evening oblations. All of these things are, are worship. And, and singing comes into that equation somewhere, but we just don't see it that much in the Bible. Okay, so to, to, to try to say we're going to go through the Bible and see the singing ministry, it, it's not there. We, we see it as important at times, and there's a few opportunities where it happens. But we don't see Paul showing up in Antioch and they're singing for half an hour and then he preaches the Bible and then they close with a, a you know, a benediction song. And, you know, it's just, it's not what we see. It's not wrong, okay? It's not, it's not in any way wrong. Matter of fact, it's what God has been doing. But then as, as God says, okay, now, you know, especially if we were a persecuted church, you know, I know for years when Chinese Christians would come, they couldn't sing. <laughs> They'd get captured and put in prison. But they would pull out a hymn and they would all move their mouth without making any noise and sing the hymn without any noise because that's all they could do in the underground church. But then, um, again, it's, it's, it's going to look different in each season, a time of persecution, a time a freedom, a time, whatever God's doing. And right now we're praying for the summer season. We said, Lord, what are you doing? What is it we're joining you in? And, and we, God really just spoke to us and we nailed it on the head. God just, we're following Jesus. This is what the Lord's doing and it's fruitful. Now we're praying from September to the end of December. Lord, what are you doing? What is it you're speaking to us? What is, what is it you have Calvary Chapel San Diego and all the extension campuses to be doing? And, and, uh, and it's, it's just a neat thing to say. I mean, my reaction is just like your reaction. I hate change. <laughs> you know, I hate anything being different. My, my wife the other day washed my white washcloth in the shower and we can't find it. And I have this green one. I, I'm autistic, or I don't know what it is, but I'm like, oh, I, it just doesn't work as good as that old white one. She probably threw it away or something, but she won't tell me. But I hate change. I, I hate change. Any shape, form, I, I'm a creature of habit to a perilous degree. I, I get that. But the Lord said, no, new wine, new wineskin. And, and everybody's reaction is the old is better. <laughs> until they taste the new wine, and they're like, how can I ever live without tasting this new wine? But it's just hard for us to get there to sip it, and yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, let me try it again. Yeah. Oh, okay, it's okay. It's, it's average. And then third time you drink it going, this is the best wine I've ever had, you know. It, it's, it's just a process. And so all of this is, is worship, and understand that you say, well, David was so depressed. David was you know, being ran out by his own son and his best friend Ahithophel, and, and, he, and he's, you know, going to be living out in, in the wilderness, and there's his little kids and his wives and little Solomon running around playing with his tinker toys and, 
and, and the splitting of the family, the civil war happening, one brother here and one brother staying with Absalom. And it was, it was a mess. And, and what does David say? Let's worship, guys. Say, come on. I'm sure they're going, oh, great. I just want to sit over here and take a nap and just sort of try to ignore all the evil that's happening. This is depressing. I don't want to worship. Oh, go ahead. What do you want to do? You want to pray? I'll listen and I'll chuck rocks at that tree. But David's like, no, every season. Right now, this is a, this is a type of worship that God's bringing us to. Yes, our heart is in a unique, heavy place. But yet, God's developing in us a new song, a new poem, a new depth of prayer, a new depth of seeing the word. So let the trial have its perfect work. Don't fight it. And in this season, we see David writing several psalms. Chapter 3, 41, 55, 61, 62, 63. Matter of fact, let's look at Psalm 3 together there. Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Here's David, maybe sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking at all the commotion in the city of Jerusalem as armies are gathering and people are screaming and, 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 and difficulties happening as the civil war is starting to happen there. Many are they who rise against me. David looking at his next door neighbor who's siding with Absalom. Many are they who say of me, there's no help for him in God. David, God's taking you off the throne. He's punishing you for your, com your committing adultery at Bathsheba and murdering her husband. You should have been off the throne years ago, but God's finally judging you now. You know, God, God was judging David, but it wasn't taken off the throne. It was a sword not leaving his house. It was the death of their baby. It was a number of other things, but it, it wasn't removing him from the throne. That wasn't God's judgment. It could have been, maybe should have been. It just wasn't God's judgment. But he says in, in chapter Psalm 3, verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. Wow, what faith David had. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Remember at this point, it's just David, 600 men, and then a group of Gentiles, uh, that's it. That's with him. The rest of the nation uh, is against him. I lay down and slept, and I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Verse 6, I won't be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. So we see David just speaking in faith. God, you're, you are always going to fight my enemies. You are always going to defeat my enemies who come against me because the Lord is for me. Who's the one who brings an accusation against us? Who's the one that condemns us? It's not our Lord. He's always for us, never against us. Well, David has already heard some of the worst news. His son, Absalom, is overthrowing him. His best son, Ahithophel, who, whose counsel is like the counsel of God, is at his right hand. And now he's going to just get grinded. It's just going to keep getting worse. You know, David should have, as all kings do, you kill all the predecessor's family. That's just standard operating procedure. All their 
relatives near and far. They get out of the country, they go into hiding, change their name, but they don't survive. And, and what does David do? He not only doesn't kill them, he shows mercy and grace and makes them all wealthy. He goes out and finds Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and gives him all the land of Saul, makes him the richest man in the kingdom, even richer than David, and blesses him, saying, you're not going to need a penny of that money. You're going to live in the castle with me. You're going to eat at the table uh, as, as a king's child in royalty till the day you die. And now he's going to sit there and listen as this guy, Mephibosheth, that he showed so much mercy and grace and love and kindness to completely betrays him. So if it's not already bad, it's getting worse. And guys, this is the way it always is, isn't it? The devil, he, he waits for such an opportune time. And then he doesn't, he's not satisfied with pounding you. He wants to grind you to dust. And so he's going to instigate weak and bitter people who aren't grounded in the Lord, not grounded in the word, and he's going to puppet them to, to get even further attack against you. And this is what we see, why David's at the top of that mountain. Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, he used to be the servant of Saul, ran all his lands, his top manager came, and he brought all of this food and donkeys and wine, and, and he says, what's this, Ziba? And, and Ziba says, all of this for, is for you to help you while you're, you're in need in the wilderness. And then the King David said, well, where's Mephibosheth? And, and Ziba says, you know, he stayed in Jerusalem, and he told me personally, this is the day that God's humbling David and restoring back the kingdom to my father Saul, and I shall be king. Now, David fully believed this. And he said to Ziba, everything that Mephibosheth has is now yours. The guy, he doesn't have anything once again. Now, as we get to chapter 19, Mephibosheth is going to come out with an opposite story. And David looks at Ziba going, he is not the type of guy to be evil like this. Mephibosheth is not the type of guy to be evil like this. And one of them is seriously a victim and one of them is seriously evil. And David just says, just split it 50-50. And Mephibosheth continued living in the palace uh, until the day of his death. So who was right and who was wrong, we don't really know at the end. But at this moment, what's important is David is pierced to the heart that Mephibosheth has betrayed him. But again, this is the enemy we're fighting against. He is a unmerciful adversary. He is cunning. And he saw in Ziba or in Mephibosheth this little opening, and Satan had his foothold in there. And one of these guys, hard, bitter, maybe Ziba's thinking, who's Mephibosheth, this crippled guy? I'm making all this money for him, and he just lays around, cruising around in his wheelchair. Who is he to have all this? He doesn't deserve this. I deserve it. Or Mephibosheth the whole time is going, thank you, David, but I'm going to screw you as soon as I get a chance. I, I don't know. One of these guys is seriously evil. 
One of these guys is, but, but either way, Satan, he's, he's manipulating the situation just to grind David down further. But David is suspicious. He asks the question, what do you mean by these things? So it seems like David sort of felt there was some manipulation maybe with Ziba going on. In other words, it wasn't just a gift. It was a gift with strings attached. And, and it seems like David's sort of suspicious about it, but we don't know. But either way, this has got to be devastating to David. And then on in verse 5 through 13, now we have another relative of Saul, maybe a first cousin or something. This guy, Shammai, and look in verse 5. Now, when the king David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera, coming from there, and he came out cursing continuously as he came. You know, there's a verse in, in the Gospels that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I do not believe that every time somebody says something, it's like... Oh, that's what they really think. It's not true. We say a lot of stupid things that's not in our heart whatsoever. Our mouth can speak perfectly fine without it coming from our heart. It can just come from a, a place of, of stupidity and foolishness and silliness, and it, it, it's not revealing our heart. Okay, so be careful with that. But I think this is exactly the kind of situation it is. Here's, Zeb, here's this guy, Shammai, living in the village. He's not worried about getting killed. Maybe he's a blessed royal guy because he's at the house of Saul as well. But in his heart, he's like, he's heard this story. He believes this story. There's this narrative. Now, I just want to stop and make a clear note here, guys. When people are bitter or you have critical fault-finding, judgmental people. They do not think logically. Two plus two does not equal four. And so often people are thinking, well, I'll just go talk to that critical person and explain to them the real story, and then they'll be fine. Or I'll just go reason with that bitter person and tell them I'm sorry and explain how sorry I am, and they'll quit being bitter. Guys, it's just not true. They have a narrative, and, and they're not going to give up that narrative because if they give up that narrative, they've got to completely do an about face and no longer be bitter but be forgiven, no longer be critical but start being a positive, encouraging, uplifting person towards this person or that situation. And, and bitterness is a root that goes deep. We're going to talk about this some more here in a minute. But understand, Shammai had believed this narrative. What narrative? In verse 6, he threw the stones at David and all his servants. Now, David had 600 mighty men of valor. You don't throw rocks at those dudes and survive. <laughs> and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and on his left. This is a sign of a coward. Shammai knows these guys have more important things to do than chase this guy through the hills and he knows where to hide and what rocks to get and where caves and, you know, even if 600 David Mighty Men, this guy, they're not going to find him. He's going to be like a jackrabbit. And so he, he, he's, he's been waiting for such a time to get an advantage. He's up on a cliff and, and he's throwing rocks at these mighty men of valor and the King David himself, but he's a total coward. But he's been setting now, guys, for decades, stewing 
and stewing and stewing. And now finally, David's in a weakened position and out of the abundance of his heart, he's vomiting all over David and all these guys. It had to be incredibly discouraging, even though what he's getting ready to say is a complete lie. In verse 7, Shammai said, thus he cursed. Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. The Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are the bloodthirsty man. So his, his facts are completely wrong. He's going to go on to say that, that you killed Saul. You stole his throne that you had no right to have to begin with. And now you're reaping what you've sown. Just like you're with Saul's son and you killed him and took his, son, it took his throne. Now it's going to come on your head. This is God's judgment. He's, your son's going to kill you and he's going to steal your throne just like you did. Now there's no truth in this. A matter of fact, it couldn't be further from the truth. David never, not only did not touch Saul, he did not speak evil of Saul. And in Saul's death, he praised, in Saul's death, David praised him. And, and David did not take anything. He waited until they called him and anointed him. And he waited till everybody gathered and, and joyfully made him king. He did not take Saul's throne. As a matter of fact, God clearly said, Saul, your throne's ending, and I'm starting a brand new dynasty through another person um, that has nothing to do with Saul or the, even the Benjamites. And, um, but yet... Is it completely untrue? Was David in some ways a bloodthirsty man that God is causing him to reap what he sowed? Well, that, that part's true. I mean, Shammai doesn't know. But so David, in other words, is saying, you know, it's like some guy walking through the schoolyard and some guy comes up and hits him in the eye and says, that's for what you did to my sister. And then he looks at you going, oh, sorry, you look just like another guy from the back. <laughs> And you just got punched in the eye for, you don't even know who this girl is he's talking about. But you walk away going, but you know, there was a lot of times I should have got hit in the eye and just never did. So I'm actually ahead about five, I should be getting hit about five more times to get caught up with what a jerk I am. So you just sort of let it go, you know. And David's like, you know, this guy's facts are just completely wrong, but I am a bloodthirsty man. I am a rogue. I am a guy that God should judge and damn to hell a thousand times over. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. And David said, Good idea. Go for it. No, he said, What do I have to do with you sons of Zariah? So let him curse. Because the Lord said to him, Curse David. David's depressed, isn't he? Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse. And so the Lord has ordered him. God's even commanded him to, to do this. Not true, but David's just depressed. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord may repay me with good for his cursing this day. If I handle this right, and I don't throw stones back at him or don't curse him or judge him, but just say, Lord, I'm, you know what? I'm receiving whatever it is you're putting on me 
Every stone that hits me, every bit of dust that falls on my head, every spear that's thrown at me, every arrow that's shot at me, Lord, I'm just in your hands, and I am not going to repay evil for evil. I'm not going to wish, I'm not going to have a bitter heart towards those who are bitter at me. I'm not going to be evil towards those who are evil at me. He goes, you know, if I can keep my heart right through this thing, God's going to see me walking by faith, and he's going to see me walking in his spirit, and he's going to bless me for that. And as David and his men went along the road, Shammai went along the hillside opposite him, cursed at him, threw stones at him, kicked up dust. So now David has two relatives of Saul that have just completely grinded him at a weakened, weakened, depressed, hard time. So you think, man, I just had a hanger nade blow up on me and and I, I'm, you know, half of my body's gone. The enemy will leave me alone. But they're going to come along going, well, there's still half of his body that's not, you know, start pounding on you. And you're going, okay, half of my body's gone. They just got through kicking me unconscious. Now they'll leave me alone. And then they come and start stabbing you with a... It, it, Satan has no ability. He is worse than a serial killer. He has no ability to stop. Do you understand that? There is not a point in Satan's character where he says, enough. I've already beaten that guy up. No, I want to grind him. Well, I've grinded him to, to almost nothing. He's not grinded to powder yet. <laughs> He's not grinded to dust yet. And then once you're grinded to dust, then he'll pick the dust up and let it blow. There is not that. And people often, going through these things, get stumbled going, well, things are bad, and I prayed, God didn't help. I prayed again, things got worse. I prayed again, things got worse. I quit praying, and things got better. I just have learned not to pray. I've heard people say stupid things like that. And, 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 you know, you look at the life of Job. I mean, he loses all his kids in a building he built. He worshiped God every day. He cried out to God. He literally spent the first of every part of his day seeking God and making sacrifices on behalf of his kids in case they sinned. But yet all his kids die in one fell swoop. And you say, wow, that can't get worse than that. It keeps getting worse, doesn't it? I mean, it just keeps getting worse and worse with Job until He's got boils all over his body. He's lost all his wealth. He's lost all his family. His wife is embittered towards him. You, you know what I would like, Job? Not to see you anymore. Just curse God and die. I, I, don't wanna, I, I want this marriage to be over. I, I don't want you to be alive anymore. It's like, gee, honey, thank you. He had nobody. And then his friends start showing up and just start grinding Job all these accusations. And when Job defends himself, they say, ah, you're a liar. <laughs> you're not able to be honest with yourself. You're an evil person and you, you, you see yourself as righteous. You're self-righteous. No matter what Job says, it can't be right. And it just keeps getting worse. But in every situation, Job just said, naked I came in this world, naked I go out, blessed be the name of the Lord. As things got worse, Job said to his wife, is it? right that we only worship God when he's blessing us 
and then we don't worship God when things are hard? I mean, would that be right? I mean, isn't it right to worship God no matter what my state is? That doesn't make God weak. If God doesn't answer my prayers, that doesn't make God evil. If I go through incredible hardship from the day I was born till the day I die, does, does that mean God is just an evil God who's uncaring and unloving? Of course not. God, God knows. He's, this life is just a vapor at its best. We're here today and, and, and gone in a flash. It, you know, we have eternity coming. Now, if we're up in heaven for a billion years suffering, <laughs> now something's wrong. But the Bible says there's no pain, no sorrow, no suffering there for eternity. And so these, in this time when David's just getting grinded and grinded and, and, and he says, guys, what, what are you even letting this guy bother you for? He's, he's a flea. If you, if you really want to, to be angry at something, be angry at the devil that he stole my son Absalom's heart, and he's wanting to kill me. And that Absalom has plotted over four years and stole the heart of the entire country. Now that's a serious issue that I'm trying not to be bitter about. This guy, so what? Maybe God's telling him to let David get pounded further to the ground. But notice this, no matter how Understand this, no matter how self-righteous people think, and sometimes they're right with their accusations, Shammai wasn't, they are still in sin for being used by the devil. So even if Shammai was indirectly being stirred up by God to, to make David's trial worse, Shammai's still evil. If everything Shammai said was perfectly correct, he was still evil for saying it. Do you understand? And that's why we need to understand Ephesians 6.12, it says, get this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. David's looking at this in a spiritual sense, and he's saying, you know what? It's not about Shammai. I'm not going to go kill Shammai. I'm not going to fight against Shammai. I'm looking at this spiritually. God's allowing it. And just let it come. If God wants to stop it, he could bring fire to heaven and kill, zap that guy in a second. God could let the guy have a heart attack right now and die. He could have a bear come out of the woods and eat him up. Remember that with Elijah? Some young boys were mocking him for being bald. <laughs> and bears came out of the wood and mauled all those young kids for disrespecting Elijah. He's like, forget that. In Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight, it says, You shall not revile God, nor curse the ruler of your people. In Ecclesiastes ten twenty, do not curse the king, not even in your thoughts. Powerful. And in Second Peter chapter two, he talks about these the godly suffering, temptation, and trials. And those who are bringing them, there's going to be a day of punishment. And he talks about these fleshly people in 2 Peter 2.10. He says, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. And what's the manifestation of this? They despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. 
Do you guys hear this? This is the heart of a fleshly person. The Bible says pray for all governors, kings, everybody in authority that you can live a peaceful and, and quiet life as a, as a light, as a salt, as a witness to the world around us. And, and, and we see this divisive spirit of today, not only in our country, but throughout the world. that They don't even know what they're being divisive about. <laughs> they've had it where they've gone down and said, well, what is exactly you are mad about Trump doing? Even before he was president, they were mad about what he did. He hadn't done anything yet. And, and, and I'm not saying people don't have a reason to be mad at him. Maybe, maybe in your politics, you're like, he's you know, the, the worst thing since Hitler. I've heard people saying such things. I, either way, even if everything you're saying about President Trump is right, you have to open your mouth and say those evil things. And therefore, that makes you evil. I'm not saying we can't talk about politics and we can't even complain at times about what's going on in, in the world of politics. But it should not be this poisonous just blasphemous thing against any leader, whether that's your parents, whether that's your boss, whether that's the mayor or the governor, on up. It's, that, that is not a right heart before God that he can honor. God's not up there going, yeah, tell me more about Trump. Good, good boy, man, this is a great prayer time. God's, God's just saying, guard your heart, man. This is doesn't matter how, and again, self-righteous people are always right. You're not going to go up to somebody and say, well, have you thought about it this way? What are they going to do? Oh, I'm very open-minded. Tell me about, oh, that's a good point. Maybe I should be thankful that President Trump's our president right now. Ah, man, they'll, they'll crucify you for that. They, they don't want to hear any other opinion. They've got their narrative. They believe that narrative. They're not going to let anything change their narrative. It is never logical. If, if, if you could go up to Shammai and say, look, Shammai, I got 600 guys that were with me to tell you I had a chance to kill Saul, and I did not kill him. They were in the cave with me. They were all telling me God was in it to kill Saul, and I cut his garment, and I'm still grieved about that. But I didn't touch him. Do you think that would change Shammai? Wow. Well, if there's 400 of you guys who saw it, and 600 of you guys who saw the second time, that's just an overwhelming testimony. I think I might change my attitude towards David right now. <laughs> Do you think that, was gonna, you think that would happen? It, it's not going to happen because it, it's not about the facts. It's about their bitter, divisive spirit. And... and when you curse the king, even in your thoughts, you're cursing God who raised him up in that place of authority. But David's godly reaction to Shammai, it's just like Jesus's. I love that story when Jesus had an Abishai and a Joab, the sons of Zariah, called, what, James and John, the two brothers. Remember, Jesus was heading to Jerusalem to be crucified and, and he was trying to do all these little crusades on the way. And he had a group of guys going out to the various cities and villages uh, through Jerusalem or through Israel and Samaria. And they came to one city and said, hey, 
Jesus, you know about well, is wanting to come and speak here for a final time before he goes to Jerusalem. And the city of Samaria says, not interested. Tell Jesus to go around our city. Good riddance. God bless you. I'm happy for you, but we don't want him here. And James and John heard this and they said, Lord, let us call fire out of heaven to destroy that city. (laughs) And Jesus rebukes them and says, you don't know what spirit you're of. David was of a different spirit than Abishai and Joab. He's getting rocks thrown at him, and it's just humbling his heart going, God, if I'm not humble enough already through Absalom and, and, and him trying to kill me and hit the fell, my best friend betraying me, humble me more, Lord. Get 10 more guys to throw rocks at me. Get a hundred more people to kick dust on me. Lord, don't stop until I'm completely broken and and I become the person you want me to be. That was the heart of of David. And these guys, they, they couldn't even fathom such a heart. And again, as we come in the scriptures in Acts 13, it says, David was a man after God's own heart who did all his will. And this is where we see it. David struggled and sinned. He was a fleshly, sinful man in many ways. But in this area, he did not become a Saul. In this area, he did not become an Absalom. In this way, he had exactly the heart of Jesus. A thousand years before Jesus came into flesh and showed us the way, he committed it into the hands of God, just like Jesus. Remember in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, let We all like sheep had gone astray. We all turned aside, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, what? The iniquity of us all. How did Jesus respond? Notice Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As sheep before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Notice there in verse 7, three times, he opened not his mouth. He kept silent. He didn't open his mouth. Jesus just committed everything into the hands of the Father. And and, and this is why this is so important, guys. Because remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter whips out his, his sword and says, Ah, they'll never take you. What does Jesus say? Peter, I could call every angel out of heaven. And, and put an end to this thing. Jesus in the, why in the, the, the prison, why hanging on the cross, at any point, he could have just spoke the word and all things would have stopped existing. He, he, there was never an ability not to stop it. But what would have happened if Jesus didn't allow every stripe, every spitting, every punch, every rock, every piece of dust thrown upon him, what would have happened? We wouldn't have salvation, right? Now, what they said about Jesus was a complete lie. But either way, it's, it's a place that God wants to bring us to in this humble spirit. Jeremiah talks about this in Lamentations 3. Guys, this has got to be one of these scriptures you memorize. As a young teenager, I memorized this passage And when I went through some very dark times in my teenage years, I I just would 
Read this over and over again. In Lamentations 3, 26 to 29, it is good that one should hope, wait quietly for what? The salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and do what? Keep silent. Why? Because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Every one of us, there is going to be this place where there is no help from man, no encouragement from man, no relief on this earth. And you're not going to just get pounded. You're going to get pounded and pounded and grinded and grinded. And when it's happening, you can get bitter. You can defend yourself. You can scream and yell and write letters and emails and, and, and bring out their mud, start throwing mud at them, going, yeah, you get, I got mud. Look at your mud. Your mud's worse than my mud. And, and <laughs> Or you can just say, you know what? Some of what they're saying is true. Some of what they're saying, I've done far worse. Some of what they're saying is just from the pit of hell. Only Satan can think that up. But I, either way, God's laid it on me. Let, let the Judas betray me. Let the Shammai throw dirt at me. Let the Saul's throw the spears at me. Let the Hithophel's do evil against me. God has laid it on me. Lord, I'm just putting my face in the dust and I'm waiting on you to bring salvation because you are breaking me. Break me, Lord. I, I just humble myself before you. Do what it is you need to do. And David, then he looks to the reward. If I get this right and God sees me being wrongly treated, then, then he's going he's gonna to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You walked in the path of Jesus. Guys, if, if you don't have your notes out, if you're not on the app, then turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible here and a pen out or, you know, you're able, some guys are able to even pull it up, uh, the notes, and then put them on pages or some other app, and they make notes right on their iPads and on their cell phones. Make a note here of 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 19 to 25, and, and compare this to what David's going through. Compare this to what Jesus went through. And then to understand this is what God is doing in you right now. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief. What? Suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults you take it patiently, but when you do good and then suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. What? Guys, this is what you're called to. The world brings trials and tribulations upon you, and you just keep your mouth shut and look to the salvation of God. And as they're nailing you to the cross, as they're putting their spear in your side, you're just, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. John, take care of my mother. Yes, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, Jesus, those are wonderful things. What about, ouch! <laughs> are you stinking Roman dogs? 
Nothing. What Jesus went through is what we are going through and are going to go through. We deny ourselves, take up the cross, be quiet. Wait for the salvation of God. In verse 21 of 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Wow. What are those steps? Now picture David in his situation as well, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. I don't think we'll ever say that about anybody but Jesus. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Do you understand how salvation came to us? We are the Shammai. We are the guy spitting on Jesus and pulling out his beard. We are the guy nailing him to the cross. When Peter in Acts 2 started preaching, who did he say killed Jesus? Now, those stinking Romans that we all hate, they crucified the Lord. What did Peter say in Acts 2? Your sins have put Jesus to death. In Hebrews, it says plainly, the soul that sins shall die. Did Jesus' soul ever sin? Never did. Hypothetically, then, he could have hung on that cross for eternity and not died. But he died. How is it that Jesus died when his soul never sinned? He who knew no sin, what? Became sin for us. And we became the righteousness of Christ. You killed Jesus. Your lies, your lust, your bitterness, your anger, your deceit, your deceit. Go right on down the list. Jesus died because you killed him. He, he could have called angels together. Kill that guy. Okay, I'll die for the whole world minus that Roman who just nailed me to the cross. I'll die for the whole world, but those stinking Pharisees who just said evil, horrible, wicked things about me, I'm not going to die for them. Jesus died for what? The whole world. Pharisees became believers. <laughs> Romans became believers. As a matter of fact, the Roman that was responsible for Jesus putting on the cross became a believer at the cross when he saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus being powerful, Jesus was weak. When he saw Jesus being glorious, he was naked and ashamed. Jesus' life saved him? No, it was Jesus and his death that saved him. What did this Roman believe on? Jesus, who was pounded and grinded and grinded and pounded until he had the worst possible death you can imagine. His beard all ripped out, spit, green goop all over him, blood matted in his body, naked in a, in a major intersection. But yet he's like, you are my Lord, you are my God, and I'm putting my faith in this guy who's dying on the cross right now. Do, do we understand this? 
What brought salvation? Jesus letting it come upon him. Jesus, without a word, receiving our punishment. How is life going to get back in your marriage? Die. <laughs> the wife yells at you. The husband screams at you. The kids complain to you. What do you do? Soft answer turns away wrath. What do you do? Pray. What do you do? Instead of being reviled back, what does it say there? He didn't revile in return. Suffering wrongfully? I shouldn't have just got blasted by my husband. I shouldn't have just got yelled at by my kids. I shouldn't have just got nagged by my wife. And I need to set the record straight here. I'm right. You're wrong. Are we in agreement? Okay, now we can go to sleep. You know what? Enjoy being self-righteous. Because that's all you get out of that. Is you're now right and evil. <laughs> it's, it's not about being right. It's about walking in the example Jesus laid out for us. That's how your marriage is going to be healed. That's how that relationship with your children is going to be healed. That's how that relationship with your parents is going to be healed. Through your death. And there's no other way. And you're going, I'm hanging on the cross. All the blood's gone. And, and there's just nothing left. Oh, yeah? Here comes the spear. Oh, I guess I wasn't completely dead. <laughs> it, it, it just it doesn't end. Oh, man, I'm glad, I'm glad I went through that season of my life. That's over. Buckle up. It's happening again. <laughs> and again. And again. And we just have to learn to walk and follow Jesus. A man of corny with grief and sorrow from the day he was born till the day he died. And he just said, the Lord God my Father has laid it upon me. Shut my mouth as a sheep going to a slaughter. So he said not a word. Look in 1 Peter 4.1. If you're already there in Peter, look in 1 Peter 4.1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind, for he, he who has suffered in the flesh will, what? Cease from sin. Interesting, isn't this? Hebrews 5.8, though he was the son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus learned an obedience by Living his entire life, man acquainted with grief and sorrow through his sufferings? Yes. Wow. This is heavy stuff, isn't it? Well, we're going to stop right there today. And next week, we're going to pick up in, in verse 14, where how do you get refreshed in the middle of battle? How do you get refreshed in the middle of battle? And actually, next week, I changed that. Craig Castor's going to be here to talk on marriage and kids raising and discipleship. And then the following week, yeah, we'll be in this. And then the following week, we'll all be together for Labor Day weekend, right? And uh, pray with us about what God has in this season. And pray that all of us are flexible. Blessed are the flexible. They shall not be broken, right? And uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you again this morning for your word. And 
Wow, Lord, we, we hear it. We get it. It applies. We're all, your Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Hey, buddy, that's that situation at work. Hey, this is that situation in your home. Hey, that's, this is about that situation happened the last year or 10 years ago. Hey, this is what's going on right now. You're at the beginning of it. Yes, Lord. We have come to follow Jesus. We've come to be disciples of Jesus. Wherever you go, Lord, we will go. Though no one else will follow, yet we will follow. Let's just end this morning with that prayer of David of Psalm 139. Lord, search my heart. And here's the next words. Try me. That's the word for purifying gold. Turn the fire up. Let the dross fall away. We're 14 carat, we wanna be 18 carat, then 24 carat, and then eventually we wanna be 100% gold liquid. Lord, right now, just purify us. Turn the fire up, try us, to see if there be any evil way in us, any unwillingness to be broken, any unwillingness to to, to just be humble, uh, uh, wanting to be self-righteous and be right, 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 even though death, death, death is coming from us being so right, division hurt, weakness, but we're right. Lord, forgive us, cleanse us, heal us, wash us. Lord, we yield before you now. Do what you want. Right now, just say, Lord, I don't care. I don't care the pain. I don't care the hardship. I don't care the difficulty. I don't care what it means to follow you. I commit my life to you, Jesus. I surrender my life to you to the life of prayer, a life of the word, a life of learning about you, Jesus, and then being that Jesus in work, in my street, with my relatives, in the marketplace, at the gas station, in the, in the colleges, in the high schools. Lord, we, we just come before you right now and just say, Lord, we want to walk Jesus even as you walked, as dear children following their father. Lord, we want to be dear children following our Father, following our shepherd. Lord, we we know if we lived for 10,000 years on this earth, we would not come up to this picture. This picture only comes from seeing you, Jesus, and men like you who are after your own heart, who have done all your will. Let it be so of us. Right now, the Bible says if you confess your sin, He's faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The thing is, if some of you guys are bitter or self-righteous, you don't feel it. It's okay. The Bible didn't say you had to feel it. It just says be obedient to confess it. And Lord, you're calling that sin. I don't want to call it sin, but it is sin, and I confess it, it's sin. Cleanse me, Lord. Heal me. Change my mind. Change this pattern. Take this root of bitterness out. Set me free to walk with you in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's stand and close with this final song.